Hi, everybody. I'm Brad Behrens, Editor-in-Chief here at the IAB. Welcome to IAB Real. This is our show where the leaders of the IAB talk amongst themselves about the things that are going on in the world, in our industry, and the IAB's take on them. It was exactly one week ago at the moment that we're recording this, that a day that started off with a shocking uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, unexpected a transition of power from the Republicans to the Democrats in the U.S. Senate. And then later that day, that very important story was eclipsed by an armed insurrection storming the Capitol. We're going to be talking today about those incidents uh, and what they mean for our country and for our industry. I am thrilled that our guest today, once again, the most perfect person to talk about these things with is Dave Grimaldi. Dave is the Executive Vice President of Policy at the IAB. He himself lives in DC. I'm coming at you from Portland, Oregon. Dave, welcome back to IAB Real. Brad, thank you for having me. And yes, we find ourselves in, uh, in, in some gloomy days, but hopefully better days on the horizon, for sure. So you live in DC. Tell me, what does the town feel like right now? And then what does the hill feel like right now? It's, it's pretty depressing. I, I have lived my entire life here in, in Northwest DC. And I remember very keenly and have pictures of it, um, the street out front of the White House being open. It has been a closed off plaza since the Oklahoma City bombing, which is when President Bill Clinton said, uh, it has now been proven that an explosive device can, can reach 20, 30, 40 yards away because of the tragedy in Oklahoma City. So we have to close the street out front of the White House permanently. Obviously there are upsides to that. People can take pictures and, and, and uh, do tours there, but it, it was done out of fear. The conversations now with my former colleagues in, in congressional leadership are, is that going to happen to the Capitol uh, some point soon? And that, that would be an even more foreboding and, and awful visual. Uh, obviously over time, as we have with the White House being, the street being closed off, Pennsylvania Avenue, we would get used to it. But it's just this further encroachment of protection fear, the need for visible defense that has seeped in um, to government buildings, government offices, and the town, to answer your question most directly, uh, Brad, uh, remains on a sort of high alert that started this summer, that started mm. in the aftermath of the, of the George Floyd tragedy, plywood on stores and restaurants that has never come down. The sad footnote there is it really doesn't need to because the pandemic has closed a lot of them anyway. So the town still has a, uh, a real uh, dystopian, almost post-apocalyptic feel to it. And there are, I am in the middle of the city. There are police cars, cruisers parked with law enforcement officers in them on Every five, every five blocks on a street corner, there is just a random police cruiser there, um, just as a sign of on edge, on guard for, 
for next Wednesday between now and the inauguration. So it's not a real rosy picture here. And we'll, I, I'd imagine we'll, we'll discuss our better times ahead. But right now, it's, it's a sad state of affairs. I lived in Ireland in the late 1980s, uh, and I lived in Dublin, but I traveled working all over the country, and I spent a bit of time in Belfast. And at the time in Belfast, the uh, cops all wore body armor, and the police cars were all tanks. And the level of tension in the city was so palpable that I felt like if someone were to drop a glass and it were to shatter uh, on the street, that a firefight would erupt. So I, I've had experience of the, like what you're talking about, but uh, no matter how much uh, my ability to be shocked has been denatured over the course of the last handful of years, it's still shocking to hear that this is what DC is like right now. It, it is, and I, I don't, uh, I still don't believe what happened last week. I, I spent many years working in Congress and and in the Capitol itself. And there is a a, a picture that was on the uh, on the homepage of the Washington Post last week that showed my former colleagues in Congressman Jim Clyburn's office holding um, a, a, a conference table uh, against a door in real time during the the raid on the Capitol. So that certainly brought it even more home for me to see some of the people in the world I care most about and worked with in that state of, um, of crisis. And I'll tell you, Brad, in, in, in looking at last week, um, I am not an alarmist. I don't panic. I, I know things will always be okay. But watching people scaling those walls, uh, it sent a lightning bolt through me regarding the tension and the anger and the hatred and the, mis and the misplaced uh, blame here that that culminated in that horrific event. And I and 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 right now the arguments for impeaching the president for a second time are happening on the on the floor of the House of Representatives. And and these times that we are living in, this year that we have had, um, I like to think is it's certainly the culmination of a of a lot of things. I we if you look at our our presidents from George Bush to Bill Clinton, a big change, a party change. Uh, from Bill Clinton to George Bush, a major change, a party change. Bush to Obama, the same thing. Obama to Trump, the same thing. Things build. The perception of government uh, and its priorities changes. The social agendas change. Think about uh, gay marriage. Think about attitudes in the Midwest and in the Deep South. How does that change administration on administration? But the past four years, I do think, have, have largely upended that. And I think now, in the aftermath of the riots, this bipartisan uh, just whiplash around uh, the, this White House and what this president has done, I think the big question now on everyone's minds is, is in some crazy corner of the universe uh, this a unifying event? I mean, could, could through the if, if you want some imagery, think of a burned forest and the little green sprig of a plant coming up through the through the the burnt ashes and the smoke. Is that possible? That is really the question people are now asking after Liz Cheney and um, 
and Cong Congressman Adam Kinzinger, both Republicans, said this shouldn't have happened. We're we're going to side with Democrats. It's a phrase you never hear. You don't hear Democrats saying they're siding with Republicans. Those 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 sentences aren't uttered anymore. But is the assault on the Capitol something that is going to bring these parties together through some twisted Frankenstein means? That's that is something that we're seeing, and I'm happy to to talk more about that. But you know, it, it, do do flowers bloom? Right, and it, it's a uh, it really speaks poorly of this historic moment that uh, the question about is it okay for people to storm the Capitol is in some ways a partisan issue that there are a bunch of uh, representatives and a couple of senators who are still uh, not condemning this uh, in quite as full-throated way as we would hope. Um, but let's let's move on to our industry, uh, not only because so much of the uh, energy around uh, partisan information uh, on misinformation on both sides, although I will uh, I think it's pretty clear that the um, the height of it uh, is a little bit higher uh, on the with uh, the president's supporters. We've seen an extraordinary number of digital companies deplatform the president uh, and deplatform Parler which is the sort of right-wing version of Twitter uh, in the aftermath of the assault on the Capitol. Uh, Deplatforming the president, specifically Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, Twitch, Reddit, YouTube, Snapchat, TikTok, Discord, and Pinterest uh, in terms of uh, also Shopify and Stripe. Uh, Shopify no longer permitting merchandise around the campaign uh, to be sold. Stripe no longer willing to process payments. Um, uh, my my dear friend John Durham, who from Catalyst uh, SNF, uh, compared this in a conversation uh, to you know cutting off blood vessels uh, for uh, for President Trump, uh, and certainly there have been manifold stories in the media about his consternation about having uh, lost his access to Twitter. In some ways, and I'm teeing all of this up because I think you're going to have a much more uh, cogent uh, point of view on this than I have. Uh, I think as important, if not more important, are the gestures uh, by Amazon Web Services to deplatform Parler and no longer serve as their uh, conduit to, to the internet, uh, Google and Apple both removing Parler from their app stores because of a lack of moderation uh, of the content there, uh, and then uh, other companies including Twilio and Okta uh, uh, surrendering support for Parler. Um, it was a, a very surprising move because we've been waiting for Twitter, for example, to enforce the terms of service uh, for quite some time. Uh, and there was a lot of debate inside of those companies about freedom of speech and not wanting to be the police for these things. Uh, and then in the aftermath of the assault on Capitol, suddenly they moved. That's really critical for uh, our membership. you know. Uh, and I'm wondering if what you're hearing on the Hill around uh, support for these moves, questions around these moves. Angela Merkel from Germany was very skeptical of Twitter's move. Um, what are you hearing in DC? It's it, all, of, all of what you just said is, is what is the weight um, being given to, to the, the dialogue around these issues. Um, Nancy Pelosi just said the, the very heavy phrase, uh, 
on the on the floor discussion of impeachment, um, the president presents a clear and present danger. Wow. And that's not a subtle combination of words. That's that's as big as it gets. And you are seeing all of these emergency actions because of the fear that further violence, further incitement could come through his words. Uh, yesterday, the first time we've seen the president speak in, in, in a couple of days, and all eyes were on him getting off of um, the Marine One, his helicopter, and then he was walking to Air Force One to take a trip to the border wall. He walked right over to the microphones, and literally the first thing out of his mouth before he took a question or said good morning was big tech. First two words out of his mouth. Big tech is hurting this country. Big tech is, is I'm paraphrasing, is destroying democracy. A lot of people are angry about it and what they're doing is horrible. And the, the import of that from him, I think, is you are silencing voices. And as you framed, Brad, the, the, the issue around that silencing is from what the speaker and uh, Senate Democrats and now a handful of Republicans are saying is that silencing is necessary right now to save lives, to prevent another assault on the seat of government in DC. Um, but you're asking the right questions. What, what is the long-term effect of that? The content police, the morality police uh, that America has decried in foreign countries. Saudi Arabia really has a, a, a morality police that patrols the streets. Um, and we have had successive administrations and state departments say, you know, that could you imagine that happening in America in a, in a pure democracy? Well, is this a form of that or is this a temporary, uh, a temporary exercise? There are a number of people just bringing this back to presidential politics that think that when the president leaves, a lot of this will leave with him. But you can rest assured that Republicans are going to adopt this as a platform to say that this is silencing conservative voices. Now, had the attack on the Capitol last week not happened, I think that certainly is a stronger soundbite than when there is violence and death attached to it. But sure enough, this is this is now in the in the in the center of the bullseye. And it is definitely going to add to the debate around Section 230 the liability of platforms or the lack thereof uh, for what posters, uh, for what people post and what content is put up. That was really on a slow boil since the middle of the summer. And one of my fun kind of parlor thought exercises is would this drama around this obscure handful of words in a 1996 Communications Act really be discussed right now or be on the front pages absent the president, absent George Floyd, absent what the president said and didn't say about George Floyd, uh, what he did in front of St. John's Church and lifting up the Bible and dispelling the protesters around that and what people, uh, the, the online reactions to it, would, would this really um, be an issue? Because as, as I pointed out in the past, communications and technology laws were the last bastion of, of bipartisan, no drama policy. That mm. has certainly changed in a major way. So this is a, a bit of a cul-de-sac, I think, but I've been struggling to wonder what's going through the president's mind right now. 
um, he seems to have accepted that a week from now he will no longer be the president. From a political perspective, I, I'm not sure if that's still the case, but it was the case when he released a video a few days ago, and he hasn't backed away from that, although he has vigorously defended the appropriateness of his actions a week ago. Uh, what is the wisest course of action for Donald Trump uh, this week uh, and, and starting a week from now, in your opinion? Well, it's it, it, in the next week, I think it's, uh, I, from, from my observation, and I'm not a bomb thrower, and I, I really try to see all sides, uh, it, is, it is definitely President Trump's MO to have an ever-present foil, to have an ever-present uh, enemy, boogeyman, et cetera. Right now, uh, based on what he said yesterday and I articulated moments ago, it's big tech because so many of his congressional supporters have said, you lost and it's over, so we're moving on. He doesn't like that. Um, many of them are just, are, are, are just outright overtly turning on him based on this impeachment vote and what some have said. So right now, it really is just in the waning hours, it's who, who can, can I blame? What can I attack? And right now it's big tech because they're censoring me. And in censoring me, they're really censoring you too. Um, and, and that's certainly getting a, a great deal of coverage. So I do think that he presses on that over the next week. But your question of what does he do after that? Well, I am firmly of the mind that he is going to tease for four years that he may run again. And do, in doing that, he will paralyze other Republican candidates, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, you name it. He's going to consistently gobble up airtime by saying, you know, I really think I should run again. I got 70 million votes. Everyone's telling me to run again. I, um, I know this party. I know what Americans need. Uh, he certainly owned the airwaves for the last four years. And CNN, MSNBC, all of them, uh, there was quite a bit of pocket lining due to Donald Trump being the president. Uh, the stat that that I have heard, which is which is eye popping, is uh, I'm not exact on this, but pre 2016, the American consumption of political news was between 10 and 15 percent, and starting in 2016, it jumped to over 80 percent of total. American news consumption in terms of what people were watching every day. It's because of him. Uh, it's because of him that Chris Cuomo and Don Lemon and Joe Scarborough and everybody else was talking about him all day, every day, and people were tuning in. Uh, I don't think that he walks away from that. He still certainly, um, and obviously, has the energy uh, and the vitriol. He certainly has a following. You don't get 70 million votes for, um, you know, for, for not having people, people not listening to you. Um, but what does what happens in Washington uh, without him running the executive agenda? You have coming in, um, and I think he would probably giggle when he hears this, the most Washington of Washington people uh, taking over the Oval Office. And I think that in his, in his, with his age and his demeanor and that of the staff that he is bringing in, it will be a, an extremely calming effect. Um, it will be a largely predictable effect, I think, based on what Joe Biden's agenda and first 100 days will be, the pandemic, 
um, repairing foreign relations, et cetera. I, I, I don't know how much uh, air goes out of this anger balloon right now. Recall in 2009, when Congress was about to pass universal health care, Obamacare, the Tea Party sprouted up and 500 people camped out on the lawn of the Capitol the day of the vote. I was in there. I, I remember watching it. Two years later, the Tea Party faded away. Sure, it, it, it would offshoot and do other pocket groups. Um, Anti-government was fomenting. But does this, again, as, as I mentioned, does this leave with him? I certainly don't think that he is going to really allow that to happen. Um, his eldest son, Don Jr., has become a real firebrand on social media. Uh, so that will continue. But Joe Biden, I think, is going to usher in a massive wave of diversity. If you look uh, on his website, uh, buildbackbetter.com or .gov, I can't recall exactly which one, and you just look at the makeup of the White House senior staff, uh, it's remarkable uh, how many uh, Southeast Asian, African-American faces are now going to make up the White House. So he will, he will, again, kind of do what Obama did, which is bring diversity back in into the White House and in the, into the executive branch. Um, but the action is going to be uh, in Congress and you now have a unified government for the first yep. time in a while. And you said, Brad, what does this mean to IAB companies? Well, the hottest heat lamps right now are on Google and Facebook uh, and Amazon uh, and Twitter. And for our companies, if you don't care about what happens to those companies, um, you should at least care about the hundreds of thousands of creators that appear on Instagram, on part of Facebook, YouTube, part of Google, and all of the other creative channels that millions of Americans and people around the world enjoy every day. And I think that when you have a, a new unified government, Democrats in the Senate, Democrats in the House, Democrats in the White House, um, that is more rational, I think, by really anyone's estimation, um, that's even scarier for what could happen uh, to our larger companies, to the companies I mentioned, in terms of regulation and anti-platform sentiment and legislation. What has all of this carnage over the last year led to in terms of the delivery of content and the, the delivery of advertising supported content? What does that mean for us? Uh, there are bills in Congress that are said to be introduced around data sharing um, on geolocation, personal information, what can be sold or shared with the government? How does that disenfranchise minority communities? Um, what does that mean for law enforcement? Identifying uh, Americans to prevent an attack or to hold them accountable for an attack that just happened? Obviously, the you know, the capital one is that is, is going to make all of this uh, even more heavier and more um, and more pertinent. So what does that mean when you have Maria Cantwell, senator from Washington state, chairing the House Commerce Committee with oversight and jurisdiction over over all of these issues with technology and telecommunications and media? Uh, and then she can call Democratic Congressman Frank Pallone, who chairs the House Commerce Committee, and they can partner on bills. Um, pulling back Section 230, tweaking it, et cetera. Joe Biden, whom they both know very well, another Democrat, signs those bills into law. Is that possible? What does that mean for us? This is what IEB is going to be exploring very deeply over this next year, uh, and it will be a real a real roller coaster. The, the big issue uh, 
at least one that's getting a lot of big play in the media consistently over the last 18, 24 months has been a, a big tech breakup where the government insists that Google spin off YouTube, that Facebook spin off Instagram and uh, WhatsApp, that Amazon spin out AWS. Do you think that uh, that kind of antitrust uh, breakup action is more likely uh, less likely, equally likely under a democratically controlled Senate uh, than it was, uh, than it will be for the next week? I, I think it's a great question. I think certainly more likely. I don't know if it will result in spinoffs or an actual breakup. I think if it happens, it will be because of those monopoly competition factors. Um, the the, the, the four years under Donald Trump on these issues was as light touch as I certainly have ever seen it. Um, but the one thing that, that did increase over time was that scrutiny over Google and search uh, and, and their market power and what they can do to competition and how they can control um, exactly what vendors are used, how much they pay, what advertising real estate is given, et cetera. So I do think that that is going to get um, even more scrutiny when the Trump uh, outgoing Department of Justice Trump employees kind of just hand off that file to the incoming Biden Department of Justice and its attorney general. Um, and there have already been a number of roadmaps, quote unquote, written as to how to bring these lawsuits against these companies. So yes, I do think the the um, it's just the beginning for that to really ramp up in terms of that scrutiny uh, over the biggest companies and the role they play in the lives of so many everyday Americans um, and the reliance uh, that users have on them just to get through their everyday lives. That is not lost on anyone. I do think that Apple may face some more of the music in that their hold on American consumers and global consumers uh, via their their consumer electronics uh, is it just cannot cannot be understated. I I know for just my personal take on this is if I wander seven inches away from one of my Apple products, I I curl up into a ball and and start weeping. So I do think that that role in consumer electronics uh, and um, and devices is something that Apple may face a little bit of reckoning on because they've largely skated untouched along those lines. And that's because people love their, their Apple products. So the brand love is huge. But yes, I do think antitrust will certainly increase um, and there will be more storm clouds uh, around the largest companies. I, let's talk about timeline because I think that it's important to talk about how much time pressure the Biden administration is under because in 2022, we're going to have, God save us, another election. And we have uh, the Democrats, excuse me, uh, have control of the Senate by the thinnest of margins. Even if Lisa Murkowski were to leave the Republican Party, I, I hardly think she would uh, move over to the other side. And so uh, my question to you is to go back to the way we started Wednesday a week ago, which was this absolutely, I mean, I don't know about you, I was uh, stunned that uh, Warnock and Ossoff both won in Georgia. And I'm uh, wondering, you know, how much can the Biden administration get done with a unified government um, before they you know, sort of face the music 
where they um, have a very strong chance of losing the Senate and a possibility of losing the House. And, and, and Brad, it also just, it, you're right, it comes down to how do you whip votes? Does everything have to, is, is, is everything party line? Um, what happens with judicial nominations? Which happen, what happens with Supreme Court nominations? Uh, how do you advance a social agenda? How do you do work on climate change? Um, oversight and investigations is going to be, is going to really rule the day in terms of the Democratic um, House and Senate Oversight Committees investigating all of the Trump four years. Um, but you're right, how do you govern with that slim of a margin? I think that one of the uh, interesting and kind of fun realities is that Joe Biden was a creature of the Senate for many decades. He knows uh, exactly what Mitch McConnell is thinking and what he's gonna say before he says it. Joe, Bar Joe Biden was a pretty bipartisan guy, save for those Supreme Court nomination battles that we saw, uh, but he was pragmatic on foreign relations. Um, he then though, as, as Barack Obama's vice president, vice president in a unified government identical, uh, just in, in, in party uh, dominance as it is today, uh, he, he was part of that. They, the Senate House and the White House were all under Democratic control when he was VP. So I'm hoping there were some lessons learned there about how you horse trade, how you give and get, how you don't uh, ram something through uh, without realizing the impact that has um, on the other party. And that is certainly, but, but I say all that and then I kind of wind it back a little bit. The way real reform gets done anymore and it's a tragic reality, is when you have that window of one year under full party control of the federal government to make those big bets. Obama did it with Wall Street reform, healthcare, climate change, troubled asset relief program. I, you know, I have a mandate, I won, uh, the House and Senate are with me, so we're gonna go big. Uh, that certainly uh, is not without its peril and mm. its long-term backlash. Uh, I mentioned earlier the Tea Party and Obamacare. I am certain that I, a, a handful, if not hundreds or thousands of those who stormed the Capitol last week have some memory or bad memory of, the, of, of Obamacare and government-controlled uh, healthcare. Uh, what, what is the long-term reverberation of that? Political scientists will talk about this stuff forever. But all that to say, does Joe Biden go big right now? I, he is looking at a, at a minority-centric cabinet. Are Republicans gonna, going to be okay with the ideologies that come in uh, with a lot of um, progressive cabinet nominees? We'll see. Biden has the votes, though. Uh, what are the big bets he's going to make? Is he going to try getting germane to our industry? Some sort of privacy reform. It's not something that he talks about very much at all, but it is something, especially with uh, Section 230 and platform liability that is being talked about everywhere. Does he go for that? What, what is, it, 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 is, it is a very interesting uh, thought exercise, but on Georgia, since you mentioned it, how much is the South really changing? Is it in response to all of what Donald Trump was represented and said that peeled off Arizona and Georgia in the presidential election. Georgia just elected uh, a Democrat, uh, a, 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 
a young Jewish man from the Democratic Party and an African-American from the Democratic Party in Georgia. Uh, and Georgia went for Joe Biden. Is that because of Trump? Or is the South really, really changing? Stacey Abrams. Um, well, without Stacey Abrams, it, would, it wouldn't have happened. And, and it's Correct. worth, I think it's worth pointing out that uh, Georgia went for Biden, Ossoff, and Warnock by the slimmest of margins. It was, these were hard fought battles uh, and there'll be more hard fought battles in 2022. I, I, I wanna just shift back to the Senate for a moment and I wanna apologize preemptively because I don't like to be a cynical person. Uh, and, uh, and this is a cynical exercise, but when you were talking so eloquently about everything that's happening, uh, it made me think of this. When the cabinet members started to resign last week, I didn't think this was because of any um, sudden change of heart. I thought it was because none of them wanted to be on the spot to make a decision about the 25th amendment. Uh, and likewise, uh, I'm wondering about your take on whether there might be more Senate Republicans who are open to the idea of impeaching Donald Trump and convicting uh, even after he leaves office, because that would give them the option of preventing him from running for president again, which for Hawley and Rubio and the others that you uh, listed, uh, that would increase their chances of becoming president uh, four years from now. Uh, just again, it's a very cynical question, but it, I, it's, I'm quite compelled by it given everything that you've been saying. What do you think? I, I do. Um, I, I do think that uh, members of President Trump, President Trump's cabinet, felt that that is not something they wanted to be in the middle of, and a number of them left. Um, the Fourteenth Amendment and what you're raising, it is something that I don't think many people were focused on, and I do think that that Donald Trump is going to flirt with running again in four years. He's going to be older. Uh, America has some increasingly concrete, hardened views on him. And when I say that, I mean the folks who I think were on the fence or folks maybe that voted for him the first time and now will not. So I, I and, and then it, if it is, if Joe Biden has a successful first term, he's got great odds running again. If he decides not to run again, uh, and Kamala Harris has a tremendous four years, as everyone I think expects. Um, she certainly will be formidable. But is it? Um, I think the Senate. To your question, I think Mitch McConnell uh, and Senate Republicans are going to pull the covers up over their head and just wait for the next seven days to come and go. I think that there is probably some unspoken, immense gratitude to social media companies for taking down the president so that they don't have to be jammed up with him not apologizing for the Capitol riot, possibly stirring the pot more, increasing calls to their office saying, we've got to remove the guy, impeach the guy. I think there is probably some, uh, some happiness that the president has been muzzled. But at the same time, if the, if the House impeaches the president today, and into tomorrow, and it lands in the Senate, where Mitch McConnell was still the majority leader, um, does that mean that uh, they need to take up the impeachment and have a trial to remove the president? I just don't know if enough of them, and possibly, I don't know if there are a couple Senate Democrats that think that that circus should happen with only a week to go, and the president really only having 
his briefing room in the White House to make statements and stir the pot. So I um I don't I don't think you're going to see a removal of the president over the past, over the next week. But yes, if it, it, it should should those certain actions be taken, it would prevent him from running again. I just Brad don't I don't think we're going to get there. I don't think that those holding the levers are going to get there. Interesting. Well, we will see uh, that this is a, this is something that uh, the evidence will uh, will, will uh, be coming into focus pretty quickly. Uh, well, Dave, last question for you. Uh, it's one week from now, one from when we're recording this. Where are you going to be for the inauguration? It, uh, I'm going to be, uh, and I say this, gosh, with just such a, uh, such such happiness and pride. Um, I'm going to be with my 14 year old and my nine year old sons watching watching the inauguration. And, and I'll tell you, Brad, it's not because uh, the, the, the parties are shifting and, and, and Trump is leaving, Biden's coming in. Although, although I, I do think that I, I am a, I have, I've admired Joe Biden and his legislative ability and his demeanor for years now, but it's because over the last year, my two sons who are of an observing age and a comprehending age have just watched all of this, fill, fill, fill in the blanks. Uh, George Floyd's death, uh, the um, protesters uh, running through the, through our streets, everything being closed because of the pandemic. The first debate where I sat them down, I literally made popcorn. And I'm so romantic about politics and the congenial nature of Washington. And instead, uh, I sat them down to witness that horror show uh, of Biden and Trump going at each other. And I hope that the peaceful transfer of power, even with Donald Trump not being there, is just going to be a refreshing wave of, you know, the sun rises, government moves on for the people. Uh, you're seeing splinters, not, I'm sorry, not splinters, you're seeing, uh, you're seeing glints of bipartisan agreement, even though it's coming through the worst possible circumstances. So I'm hoping they see the democratic transfer of power and, and a new day dawning and, uh, and hopefully just putting all of this rancor and vitriol and awfulness uh, uh, behind us. So I will be with my boys um, narrating my, my dad narration the whole time. Well, as my beloved late grandmother, Ann Baker used to say, from your lips to God's ears. Um, Dave Grimaldi, EVP of Policy at the IAB, thank you so much for joining us here on IAB Real. It's an honor. It's been a pleasure, Brad. Thanks again. So let me wrap up. IAB Real is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. I'm your host, Brad Behrens. Today's show was produced by Holly Miller and Jasmine Rogers. I'd like to put in a public service announcement for our big upcoming conference, the annual leadership meeting, which will be the week of March 8th. It's going to be a very exciting show. Some of the topics that we've been discussing over the last few minutes will be uh, happening and on our virtual stage. It's a virtual conference. You don't even need to put shoes on. You can learn more at www.iab.com. Uh, this particular episode of IAB Real will also be posted in the IAB Policy podcast feed. If you're hearing it there, uh, that's why. Thank you so much for your attention and time. We appreciate it. We look forward to talking with you again in the near future. Thank you.